Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado. Together they form the world's greatest force, dedicated to truth, peace and justice for all mankind. These are the, the Superman of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 132 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to cover the 1981 Super Friends shorts, weeks 3 and 4. That makes this the second of three episodes in which I'll be covering the 1981 shorts. And believe it or not, that puts me two episodes away from my coverage of Superman 3. And uh, I'll just make this, this announcement now. Superman 3 will, will only be one episode of coverage. Uh, there is some diminishing returns as you move uh, forward with the uh, Christopher Reeve movies. So there's that to look forward to in a few weeks. And before I get to the business of this week's episodes, I have feedback to address. And this feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 121, in which I first came back from my hiatus. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Welcome back to the microphone. It's good to hear your voice again. I have to say that I think I will miss the Legion of Doom this season, but I guess they wanted to focus on the core Justice League members rather than on a group of villains. At least the villains here seem to be actually evil, rather than the misguided do-gooders of the early days. In discussing Rub Three Times for Disaster, you wondered how closely the genie and the evil Kareen were modeled on the original story of Aladdin's Lamp? I think they're pretty close. In the Aladdin story from 1001 Arabian Night, the villain was not the Vizier J- Jafar from the Disney version, but an evil magician who I don't think is actually given a name, but is very similar to Kareen in this version. Also, though in many of the tales of the genies in the original 1001 Arabian Nights tales, the genies are often evil tricksters, and that's not really true for the genie of the lamp in the Aladdin tale, who is fairly benevolent, although very much under the control of the master of the lamp, whether that person is good or evil. In Lex Luthor Strikes Back, it's clear that the writers were playing on Luthor and Otis from the 1978 movie, which makes sense, since a lot of the audience at that time was probably more familiar with the movie than with the comic. I like that Orville, quote-unquote Otis, thought that when the sun turned red, Superman would repaint it yellow. Also, of course, we have an appearance of the Supermobile, because you gotta sell those toys. But then again, it made some sense for a depowered Superman. Luthor's use of the image projector was a very good way for him to escape prison, giving the viewers a sense of his genius. We also got a fairly arrogant Luthor here, which is always fun. But at least he's not so arrogant as to accept the possible destruction of Earth by the sun creature. I also liked the absence of the Wonder Twins in this. Live long and prosper. Well, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. And uh, yeah, when I recorded this, this well, it's kind of funny because even though episode 121 came out when it did early February, no, trying to remember, I'm trying to remember when I brought back the show. I think I brought the show back in early March. So when Dave writes it, welcome back to the microphone. This that episode 121 was actually recorded in November, I believe during the hiatus. But you know, back at the very beginning when I thought I might be back by January 1st, but 121 and 122 were recorded in November within weeks of each other, and then life just kind of hit the fan, and then while I had done the prep work for 123 in November, I probably, I had to watch the episodes again before I recorded the episode in January, so. Production has been pretty uh, steady since uh, since then, but yet, even though it was a long time for you guys, episode 121 was a- and 122 were recorded even before I recorded episode 120. I actually think if you were to go by and listen to the next time on episode 119, I had said the next time would be the uh, episode in which I began The World's Greatest Super Friends as uh, the episode with myself and Haley wasn't planned until it actually happened. That probably would have been a man of screen extra had I managed to uh, 
get some other episodes together. So that's kind of a peek behind the curtain there. And, you know, I really don't have much to say about the change from the uh, Challenge of the Super Super Friends format to the World's Greatest Super Friends format. It's kind of everything I had to say about that I've I've discussed in episodes 121 and uh, the four that followed. So I'm not going to repeat that here. And I really don't have anything to add on Dave's comments in general. You know, they're all similar to what I said or... And yeah, I do like that Luthor is not so arrogant to uh, accept the possible destruction of the Earth by the Sun Creatures. I do like that even though he is arrogant and believes he can solve everything, Luthor knows when he's licked and uh, he doesn't want to destroy the world like so many other supervillains who are going to take over and destroy the world. He wants the world to remain and he's not going to destroy it just for the sheer sake of doing so. All right, so... That being said, I really don't have anything else to add to Dave's letter. If you want to write in, feedback is always welcome. Man of screen at gmail.com or drop a comment on one of the episode postings. So, so now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back and talk about week three of the 1981 Super Friends shorts. Hang around. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, the episodes in this segment, an original broadcast date of October 10th, 1981. And we're going to lead off with The Evil from Krypton. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com your number one source for Superman information on the web. Superman tries to keep a dam from breaking, but the sun suddenly turns red, causing him to weaken. Learning that the cause is at the Fortress of Solitude... Superman, our computers say that the sun's rays were changed by a satellite launched from your Fortress of Solitude. How can that be? Who else on Earth understands that I get my superpowers from Earth's yellow sun? Who else but a fellow Kryptonian Superman? Zykree! But my father exiled you to the Phantom Zone. Yes, and I escaped. Now I will have my revenge on you, Superman, and destroy your world! (laughs) We've got to reach the fortress and stop him. He goes with Green Lantern and Aquaman to confront Zykree, an evil Kryptonian freed from the Phantom Zone. Aquaman destroys the Red Sun Generator, and Superman defeats Zykree in a one-on-one matchup. You did it, Superman! You defeated him! Zykree forgot one thing. His power equaled yours, but your skills were superior. Once again, it has been proven that though a few others may have equal power, there is still only one Superman! And 
to be totally honest, that one-on-one matchup isn't exactly a matchup in the terms of a fist fight. It's more uh, a contest of superpowers and some throws, maybe a little bit of judo, you know, all that kind of stuff. So this episode starts with Superman flying over the Earth as he spies a damn bursting, and he's trying to use his heat vision to shore it up when, you know, as the uh, synopsis says, all of a sudden, something is pushed in front of the sun, turning it red. Superman doesn't necessarily see what's being pushed in front of the sun, but we, as the viewer, can see It's almost like an eclipse type thing. It was unclear if it was turning the sun red or if it's just blocking the yellow radiation from coming through. But either way, the sun is red and Superman is going to be depowered very quickly. So the Green Lantern is on his way. And after squatting for a minute like he's taking a dump, he rescues Superman, who looks like he's about to be sick. It's interesting is how they portray the red sunlight here because Superman looks very sickly and like he's about to fall over. Sickly in the sense that you would almost think he was being affected by green kryptonite by the way he's reacting, but I mean, your mileage on this may vary, but the way I always kind of interpreted uh, red sun radiation's effect on Superman is he would be fine. He would just be powerless. He wouldn't necessarily be sick or woozy, just be no stronger than an ordinary human. So apparently we learned that the uh, satellite that changed uh, the sun is from the Fortress of Solitude. And there is apparently a Kryptonian in the Fortress who would also be powerless under the red sun, but more on that in a few minutes. So here is uh, Zai Kree, who looks an awful lot like General Zod from uh, Superman the movie and Superman 2. He has uh, escaped from the Phantom Zone and he's going to take revenge on Superman, whose father Jor-El imprisoned him in the Phantom Zone. Stop me now if that seems a little bit familiar. That's right, a lot like Zod and company from Superman 2. So uh, Green Lantern creates a vehicle with his ring to uh, conceal them. It's uh, some kind of tank with the Green Lantern logo on it, and I really don't think that's doing a good job of concealing them. I think the purpose of this vehicle is just to protect Superman from the warp cannon that Zykree is firing at them from the fortress. And now Zykree's got everything all covered as Superman can't get into the fortress because Zykree changed the code. Now Aquaman is going to uh, get into an ice flow from, I guess, from below the fortress. So, you know, nice to see Superman thinking ahead. He's got a hatch at the bottom of the fortress to uh, get in through the waterway. Good to know. And Aquaman, here's an interesting image, Aquaman is riding some eels in kind of the, uh, you know, the way I make fun of that image of uh, Aquaman who's on the, uh, kind of like the flying fish. Here he is on on a couple of electric eels, so. The eels is almost as bad as the flying fish water skin. And he gets up into the fortress and uh, Zykree is there to meet him. And Zykree reveals that he has powers because the fortress has a shield that protects it from the red sun radiation. He left the back door unlocked. Unlocked, Aquaman, but not unguarded. Superman's aquarium could be a help against that cosmic criminal. <laughs> Fool! The fortress radiation shields protect me from the red sun. I have the same powers as Superman. Have no chance against me. Maybe not, Zykree, but my friends here do. What? That should hold you long enough. So really now all they need to do is get Superman into the fortress and uh, you would, and he'll regain his powers. That would be too easy. As Aquaman is less concerned about that and he's going to destroy the satellite. Which is probably a better idea in the long run. So Zykree misses with his heat vision and hits something. And, which I don't know, actually know what that something is. And Aquaman destroys the satellite and Superman is restored instantly. And when I say instantly, it's instant. He all of a sudden the sun is yellow again. He's fine. And he uh, gets in, rips off the door. And here we go. Superman and Zykree are going to go one on one. Well, you can't have any punches thrown because i guess we're still under sway from the uh, parents tv council or whatever that group was that had some 
much of an issue with the filmation series back in the late 60s. Either way, he can't have any punches thrown, so uh, Kree is going to knock himself silly and throw things. And uh, the most physical combat we're going to see is Kree and Superman kind of running into each other and then kind of knocking themselves stupid, but when they, when they collide, you know, kind of like you got two kids and then they run right at each other and knock each other down. That's pretty much what Kree and uh, Superman did here. While no punches are thrown, judo throws are apparently okay as Superman gives... Uh, Zykree, one of those patented Captain Kirk kicks that we saw so much on the uh, Star Trek, the original series. So, but even though they can't really throw any punches, this is a pretty good fight as Zykree shoots a Superman with the Phantom Zone projector and he dodges. And then Superman digs through the floor and he uses that to turn the tables on Zykree. He kind of comes out and uh, throws him, knocks him down, and sends him back to the Phantom. And this was a really good episode. Probably one of the best of the shorts in either season, this one or the last one. Of course, I had a feeling that I would really like this one, being that it was heavily Superman-based. And I like that little ending narration, which uh, highlights that there's only one Superman. So, you know, this, uh, if I have to pick out the uh, the shorts, this is definitely uh, one of the standout Super Friends shorts for me. Might be the best of the seven-minute stories I've seen in the two seasons. I, I don't necessarily know if I want to say it's the best, but it's definitely a favorite. I mean, this really has everything you want from a Superman story, except for the Daily Planet. But that's not really a going concern in, the, in these stories, especially with so little time to work with. With so little time and all the characters, it's very hard to get any of the uh, characters supporting cast into these things. And the Superman-based stories are so few and far between, so it's nice to see one done really well. And obviously, as this episode came out after Superman 2, Zykri's look is clearly based on General Azad. The suit, while different, is reminiscent of the Superman 2 costume, and he even has a similar beard to Terrence Stamp. So, I had a lot to say about that episode, probably a little bit less about what's coming up. So let's move on to The Creature from the Dump. Doesn't that episode title pretty much say everything it needs to say right then and there? And our synopsis is as follows. A strange monster is born from chemicals in a junkyard and starts terrifying Gotham City. It's the trouble alert. Oh no, it's an environmental emergency. Satellite scanners have pinpointed the source of the emergency at the Ajax dump in Gotham City. It's time to put our XOR experience to use. But the dynamic duo and the Wonder Twins are able to stop it by literally pulling it apart. Oh, close calls, Batman! I know. For a minute, I thought I might wind up in the dump with the rest of the junk. Dana, look out! It's another junk monster! <laughs> junk monster nothing! It's just a barrel full of space monkey! <laughs> This is kind of an appropriate story for me to see right now because I have an ongoing story at work about some illegal dumping. So here we are at the junkyard. And these kids here, they're probably teenagers getting into mischief. They kick a can and it causes a leak. And apparently this oil leak will set off an alarm at the Hall of Justice because everything sets off an alarm at the Hall of Justice. This is a minor thing, but I wonder why this is the biggest deal when so much worse stuff is going on in the world. But that's neither here nor there. Not a concern for this podcast. Of course, the uh, stuff comes to life and creates some kind of ugly trash creature. It's got exhaust pipes on itself. Uh... And it looks like, and it looks basically like it's made out of old car parts. So it's not necessarily a landfill, more of like a automobile graveyard. Now, I don't know what's up with Zan's voice in this episode, as it sounds different. Although looking at the cast list, it's still Michael Bell providing Zan's voice. Uh, maybe he has a cold or something. I don't know. I'll have to keep up with this uh, throughout the season. So changed into an eagle, Jaina scoops the two kids up, and Zan has encased the monster in ice. And uh, now that the twins have failed, as they inevitably do, Batman and Robin show up and try to fight this creature with. Uh, Basically some kind of old exhaust system. And Batman is knocked backwards, lands in the oil, and he becomes a junk monster as well. And both junk monsters leave the yard, and they are on the road. Now it's left to the kids. Robin, Zan, 
Jaina, and that stupid space money monkey Gleek to save the day. Twins take the arm back to the Hall of Justice while uh, Robin follows Batman, and uh, the twins are racing against time here, but they are clueless, and they are relying on the computer, which, uh, you know, reduces not only uh, plot exposition, but also the antidote rather quickly. What do we do now, Zan? I wish I knew. First, let's see if the computer can come up with a solution. Caution, unless this antidote is administered within five minutes, transformation will be permanent. Oh no! That means if we don't give it to Batman in time, he may never be Batman again! And, if not, for no other reason than to emphasize how short these stories have to be, they have five minutes to get from the Hall of Justice to wherever it is Batman and Robin are to get him this antidote. Batman, meanwhile, is attacking a family uh, in their car. Uh, their hood is gone. Apparently, he needed that for something. Maybe he was cold and needed to cover himself up or something. So Robin is trying to hold off the uh, Batman junk creature, and he's uh, shooting at him with beanbags and apologizing. Yeah, and Batman is terrorizing this family while he's been turned into a junk monster, and uh, Robin is defending them and saying he's sorry. I guess he wants to cover all of his bases. I mean, Robin is completely in over his head here as he is surrounded by uh, trash creatures. This might actually be worse than the trash people from The Walking Dead. So the uh, twins show up with the antidote, and they by now they have 30 seconds, and as a giraffe and an ice slingshot, Gleek shoots the antidote. Yeah, an ice slingshot they use to shoot the antidote into Batman from a distance. I guess when you're the Wonder Twins, you have to come up with these extreme solutions. And if you're wondering what they have to do to uh, get rid of the creature now, the answer is simple. Now that he is himself again, Batman pulls it apart with the Bat Magnet, because the Bat Magnet will come through for you in any situation. So uh, that takes care of that. Gleek wears some junk, you know, for a joke, because that's really all Gleek is good for. This episode was uh, kind of silly, as most episodes featuring the twins are. Batman turning into a junk monster is very Silver Agey. And I'll be honest with the title of this episode, I was expecting uh, someone to be extolling the... Uh, Virtues of saving the environment, but they didn't go that way here. It was just heroes fighting a monster, and I'm glad they didn't kill it with soap like the uh, crude oil monster from last season. So now that we've uh, washed the junk off of ourselves, let's go on to aircraft terror. And our synopsis is as follows. A jet is struck by a meteor, changing the jet into a dragon that can fire a beam to change other flying machines into monsters. It's an alert, Jaina. We can check it out on the Batmobile monitor screen. Wonder Something's wrong at Metropolis Airport. Emergency! Calling the Super Friends! The airport is under attack by some sort of monster bird! I'll alert Batman and Robin. Wonder Twins to Batman! Airport alert! We read your Wonder Twins. We've also received the airport alert. We'll be there as soon as these stormy skies allow. Right, Batman! Over and out! We'd better head over there, too. The Wonder Twins and the, and the dynamic duo follow the aircraft monsters to an aircraft carrier. With some quick reflexes and a luckily deflection off Zan as an ice jet, the dragon's beam hits the beast itself, changing it and the other monsters back into flying machines. Holy metamorphosis, Batman! Thanks to your quick reflexes, that beam sure backfired on him! Right, Robin! Look, the Bat Jet and all the planes have returned to normal, too! This freak occurrence has ended! Wonder Twin Powers! You sure saved our entire air power from a monstrous takeover. Thank you, Batman and Robin. You're welcome. But I think you also need to thank the Wonder Twins who helped pull off the saving maneuver. Mm. <laughs> 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 
And we have to thank Gleek, too. So, another uh, Batman and Wonder Twins story. This kind of reminds me of the uh, bad old days of season one when uh, Batman seems to be the keeper for uh, the junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. So, as far as this episode goes, we're having a thunderstorm over Metropolis Airport, and the plane is hit by something. The synopsis tells us it's a meteor. The uh, animation wasn't very clear about that. And it's a dragon. So, And the pilot bails out of the dragon. I'm not sure how a pilot bails out of a dragon, but... I guess that's not something uh, we're going to litigate here. It's just you have to accept that maybe sometime between the transformation from the plane to the dragon, he got out. Because as far as I know, a dragon does not have a cockpit door, unless he flew out of its mouth. But it didn't look like he did, as he kind of went up before uh, parachuting down as uh, as an ejecting pilot would. So over Metropolis and no sign of Superman. Uh, something that happens a little more than it should, I think. So now we are in the uh, Hall of Justice, and Jaina is a bear, and Zan is water. And they are washing the Batmobile. Can this get any more weird than that? They are actually using a Wonder Twin to wash the Batmobile. And his sister to dry it with her body. She is literally wiping her brother off of the car and absorbing him into her fur. You just listened to that. You just heard me say that. You know how that sounds? So, the airport calls the Super Friends and they alert Batman and Robin in Metropolis. Why we're alerting Batman and, Metro- and Robin in Metropolis, I don't know. Where is Superman? Is he on vacation? Did he and Wonder Woman take uh, another trip to Saturn? She's uh, noticeably absent in this episode as well. What are they doing on Saturn? Inquiring minds need to know. Anyway, back to the dragon, which uh, has its dragon vision. It turns other planes into beasts. And they're referring to this as a bird. This definitely looks more dragon than bird. Just saying. I ain't going to continue to call it a dragon, despite everybody else's uh, calling it a bird. So uh, they, uh, the twins get swallowed by the spider-looking one. But Zan turns into an ice jack to uh, open the thing's mouth and get them free. Love them or hate them, the writers come up with some bizarre ways to, for the twins to create solutions to their situations. So here come Batman and Robin, and they spot a bunch of flying monsters. Metropolis Airport is not responding at all, Batman. Look, Robin, there's the cause of the shutdown. Holy ferocious fox, Batman! A squadron of bird monsters! The bat radar indicates they're heading out to sea, toward the aircraft carrier Washington. We've got to follow those creatures and ground them. And uh, we're going to go for the ice jack. And the twins, meanwhile, have been thrown in a warehouse. But we're going to go for the ice jack trick again because it worked so well the last time and the twins are going to get out of there. So once they're free, the twins inform Batman and Robin what the aircraft beast can do to an aircraft carrier that's on the uh, on the bay or on the ocean, wherever it is they are. The aircraft beasts are gone. And we'd better find them fast. Batman and Robin must be near here by now. Wonder Twins to Batman and Robin. Come in. We're on the trail of these aircraft monsters, Wonder Twins. Our projected site of interception will be the aircraft carrier off the Cape Coast. Be very careful, Batman. That jumbo jet monster can turn all the Navy aircraft into beasts, too. You must stop its power ray. Roger. We'll be prepared to use some power of our own. We're on our way to back you up. Over and out. Wonder Twin Powers, activate! of and Ice Jet! And uh, Batman and Robin go after it, and uh, so do the Wonder Twins. And Zan now gets to do the traveling, as he's an Ice Jet. So there's this sailor on the carrier, and he is uh, called the monsters, monster airplanes. How do you think a dragon looks like an airplane? The wings are a lot bigger, and they breathe fire. If I looked up and saw a dragon, not that I would see a dragon in this world that we live in, but if I looked up there and saw a dragon, I don't think I'd mistake it as an airplane. Just saying. So, the uh, bat deflectors uh, scare the dragon, and he and he sends the rest of his uh, pals after the bat plane, and uh, 
Batman and Robin uh, net the dragon, but it quickly turns the bat plane into a living thing, kind of a long uh, bat-like creature. And Batman and Robin eject, but Batman is uh, using his head as he uses a satellite dish to reflect the dragon's power to hit the other creatures, turning it and them back into airplanes, which somehow land on their own. I mean, I guess the uh, airplanes had uh, crews and pilots before they were transformed. I guess everything was transformed back to the way it was, so the crews and other planes would still be there, I guess. We didn't see anybody eject like we did with the dragon, so maybe they didn't land themselves. Maybe the crew was restored when the planes were restored. But the Navy will thank Batman and Robin for their bravery, their heroics, or whatever it is they feel they need to thank them for. But they will share the accolades with the twins. Another straightforward episode. Not bad, but not great either. It simply is. And you know what's going to be right now? I'm going to take another break, play another promo. Then I'll come back and uh, finish this episode off with uh, the next seg- the next three uh, stories in the following for the following week. Hang around, folks. From the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... The Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment, an original broadcast date of October 17th, 1981. And we're going to start with The Lava Men. And all of our synopses in this segment brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. In Ocean City, the dam changes from water to fire. Aquaman is first to notice and save the ferry boat. I read you, Aquaman. What's wrong? The Ocean City waterfall has turned into a rampaging firefall. I'm on my way, Aquaman. And I'll alert Superman. Superman and Wonder Woman join in, but all three heroes have to face a group of molten creatures that start trouble. In the end, they force the Lava Men back to their homes near the Earth's core. I'll just make sure they stay down there. And so mankind is safe once again, thanks to the Super Friends. So we uh, start under the sea with a whale stuck in a river. You know, caught in some seaweed, it looks like. Fortunately, Aquaman is there to save it, and he cuts it loose and uh, sends it home. Now the water is heating up, and Aquaman goes to the surface and finds that a dam is on fire. And now we see Wonder Woman flying in her invisible jet. I never get tired of this shot of Wonder Woman just kind of flying in an invisible jet. She's sitting on a seat, and uh, she's the only thing visible. You just see her sitting down, flying through the air. I wonder if that's what people see when they look up at uh, her in the jet. I mean, I know, and I've said this before, Wonder Woman being seated is a visual aid for the viewer. But I wonder if the people in the world see Wonder Woman just sitting there like we do. Either way, I never get tired of that shot. But either way, Wonder Woman is going to call Superman. I mean, while that's happening, Aquaman calls on the whale that he just saved to push a boat out of the way. And that's when Superman shows up to find a way to push the flame without out to sea he does that by scooping up a piece of the highway and then contains it and then blows out the fire and when he lands on the cliff to talk to uh aquaman and wonder woman we see superman from behind for a minute and i just love the way um the yellow s looks on his cape it just really stood out in that shot and seeing a shot like that you know the s the yellow s is billowing with the cape and you know just seeing stuff like that 
makes me want to call uh, shenanigans on that claim from the current movie makers that it's too complicated to animate the S on the cape. I just think that's a bunch of crap. Anyway, as soon as Wonder Woman says the immediate danger has passed, some, uh... Lava men walk out of a nearby volcano. Who built a city right next to a volcano? It seems like the kind of thing that would be detrimental to property value. So now here are the lava men uh, walking down the street and they're not singing do our diddy diddy dum diddy do. And one of them is the king and he has decided that humans have lived on the surface for far too long. Who are you? What do you want? I am Soldera, king of the lava men. Too long have you lived on the earth's surface while we've lived below. Now the surface will burn like the center of the earth. And the lava men will reign supreme. Not while the super friends are here to prevent it. It just seems though none of these uh, subterranean civilizations can live with the surface world. Here are these lava men. They are literally on fire. Or that's what they look like. I mean, the king's crown is of fire. You would think they would need to be underground near the molten core where it's warmer and not up on the surface where probably compared to what they're used to it's pretty cold up here so i'm not sure why they'd want to live on the surface but they do because everyone wants to live uh on the surface world so now uh, the lava men open up a hole in the ocean pretty much like a big drain imagine that the ocean is draining like a bathtub the ocean is probably draining better than my bathtub does so superman is at the north pole and he just punched out a fireball because you can punch out a fireball when you're superman but it's too late the apollo ice cap has already melted causing some lava man-made global warming Fortunately, Superman could just refreeze the polar ice cap, so climate change has been postponed until the 21st century. Aquaman, meanwhile, is trying to uh, plug a hole in the ocean floor. Maybe he uh, needs uh, some hair or something to just stick it in the drain to uh, clog that up, just like the bathtub. Maybe I've revealed too much on this podcast. I'll let you be the judge of that. Maybe he should just uh, pull the lever and uh, close the drain. Or he could just have some squids pull some rocks down over the hole and stop the drain probably the squids were a better solution than anything i could have come up with but again it's a perfect example of uh how aquaman very rarely does anything he has sea life do it which i guess if you could make the sea life do whatever you wanted you would make the sea life do whatever you want so superman goes after Soldarath. if i haven't mentioned that by now Soldarath is the king of the lava men with his uh, fiery crown that i seem to like so much and the lava king has absolutely nothing for superman he can't defeat him at all and apparently wonder woman's lasso can carry the lava man home. The lasso of Hestia does not melt. So he defeats Soldarath by using his heat vision. Why heat vision works against a lava man, I don't know, but it does. And then he seals up the volcano with his heat vision. Again, I'm not sure how heat vision will solidify lava. You would think he'd have to blow on it with a super breath to do that, to freeze it and to turn that into solid rock. But nope, he's lots of heat vision in this episode, even though it makes no sense to use it. You would think he would try to blow out the lava man or something. I don't don't know. This episode is just dumb. I mean, basically all it is is a monster episode of mediocre showing. I mean, we've seen so many episodes like this, including fire creatures. So let's just put this episode in our pocket and move on. And we're going to move right on to Bizarro One, another Superman-heavy episode. Superman and Black Vulcan are lured into a trap on Bizarro's planet. Where am I? This is the weirdest space center I've ever seen. Not surprising, Black Vulcan. We're on strange turf here. This is Bizarro World. So this is the home of Bizarro. Then it's a trap. There's no trap. We want super friends to visit Bizarro spaceship. Inspect and fire. Some other time, Bizarro. Where are you? Come out and face us. You not visit ship. Ship visit you. While Black Vulcan blasts his way through a maze of mirrors, Superman has to deal with Bizarro in a cavern of red kryptonite, which turns the Man of Steel into a scrawny weakling. Superman puts a piece of red kryptonite under his suit to change the color to blue. Uh, what you do? You're finished. 
finished, Bizarro. Red kryptonite changes when its rays pass through my blue suit. Changes uh, into blue. Uh, me threat. Uh, me weak. Uh, me give up. Oh, you winner, Superman. Your game is up, Bizarro. All right, so we start with, uh, we've got Black Vulcan here welding a Skylab back together, and he reports into Superman to let him know what's going on, and uh, as Black Vulcan is piloting the uh, Skylab home, which apparently one does with a Skylab, it goes out of control, and fortunately he's on the line with Superman when it happens. So, like a good Superman, he flies out to help. And then the camera cuts, well, the animation cuts, whatever needs to cut, it cuts to our favorite square planet. It's Bizarro World, and Bizarro is planning to lure Superman to Bizarro World, where he'll go crazy. Me crush Superman, him finished. Me lure Superman to Bizarro World, him go crazy here. I should have known. Bizarro's up to another one of his criminal capers. You smart Superman, you also fool! <laughs> I'm not sure why the... Mere presence of Superman on Bizarro World would make him go crazy, especially when he clearly knows what uh, Bizarro World is. But that's Bizarro's logic. It's all backwards and befuddled. Superman calls this a criminal caper by Bizarro after he shows up uh, to inform Black Lightning of where he is. And uh, I'm not sure Bizarro is smart enough to be a criminal, which is why I went and I guess he was treated differently in the Silver Age and the Bronze Age than he is now. And to me, Bizarro was just, uh, you know, he's the opposite of Superman. I guess if he was Superman's equal and opposite, he'd be as evil as Superman is good. But he's not really portrayed that way now. He's just kind of a, more like a big lovable goofball monster that just kind of wrecks things inadvertently, trying to do good, but failing miserably. That's kind of how Bizarro is portrayed now. But I guess if he were truly Superman's opposite, he would probably be a little more evil than, I, than I'm thinking. And, uh, you know, so just a lot of hijinks in this episode, you know, Superman and Black Vulcan end up in a ship, and because everything is opposite on Bizarro World, the ship they're in ends up going down through the core of the planet and outward. Bizarro's doing these tricks to lure in the super friends, but I'm not sure what his aim is, other than he gets Black Vulcan trapped in a hall of mirrors. I'm not sure what he's trying to accomplish. Okay, so, you know, it's just a very strange episode as Black Vulcan and Superman just kind of go from like little trapped a little trap uh eventually bizarro was found with a sack of money and i'm wondering if he robbed the bank or something and now and then superman is chasing him and apparently for some reason bizarro world has a red kryptonite and they make superman weak before it turns him into a deformed uh person kind of like yogi berra i'm not saying yogi berra is deformed but it's just his features are kind of funny looking you know basically the, the uh he's referred to as a scrawny weakling it's uh you know it's kind of hard to talk about this episode in a narrative fashion because it just goes from one strange thing to the next and i do like that before superman is affected by the red kryptonite he points out that he has no idea what it'll do to him red kryptonite especially in the silver age it's a little different now but in the pre-crisis era red was one of the many versions of kryptonite and i'm not going to go into all of them here but kryptonite would always affect superman in an unpredictable fashion but it would only affect him that way once or one chunk would only affect superman in one way if chunk a turned him into a scrawny weakling chunk b would do something else to him turn him into an ant or something but if he were exposed to chunk a again he would become the scrawny weakling so each chunk would affect him the same way as it always does but each different chunk would affect him different which is why a lot of your most zany comic silver age stories were red kryptonite stories now i mean lois and clark uh, played with red kryptonite and uh tried to have it do something different every time and that worked okay to different degrees smallville just uh the red kryptonite just took away his inhibitions but you know that really was unpredictable it did the same thing to him every time so anyway basically bottom line 
At the time this was produced, Red Kryptonite was unpredictable. But the Red Kryptonite doesn't seem to bother Bizarro, and Superman somehow changes the Red Kryptonite to blue as the rays pass through his blue suit. Why this works, I don't know. But as we know from previous episodes, that blue kryptonite affects Bizarro. It, I don't know if it weakens him, but it definitely, he doesn't like it. And it restores Superman to normal. Superman is either restored to normal or the red kryptonite wears off. I don't know. One of, the, one of those two. I'm going to say that the blue kryptonite just restored Superman to normal. So Superman rescues Black Vulcan and sends Bizarro to Bizarro Jail. And uh, that's done. So it was a good episode. A, little, a bit of a crazy episode, which made it a little bit hard to, to describe in a coherent fashion. But what about Bizarro World? It's coherent so believe it or not in this episode we have two well done superman related stories and this one was not as good as the evil from krypton but you know anytime you see bizarro in a uh, pre-crisis type story you're in for a fun time all right let's uh finish this off with the warlord's amulet and our synopsis is as follows in japan samurai and batman and robin work to stop a 13th century warlord with demon warriors who has come using a time gate Your own amulet will deliver you back into the hands of the Shogun and the justice of the 13th century. No! Don't send me back! It is time for your return trip, Warlord. Kaze no yo ni hayaku! Even the amulet has disappeared. It's for the best, Samurai. Such a device is much too dangerous, especially in the wrong hands. Super friends, we of the village thank you. May your village know peace once again. Kaze no yo ni hayaku! All right, that synopsis says everything that needs to be set up in this episode. I'll see you all next week. Oh, you want me to do more? Okay. So, we're going to start with an earthquake at Mount Fuji in Japan. So, of course, here's Samurai. If we're going to destroy Japan, we may as well use the Japanese superhero in the story. So, uh, the super friends get a call from what I guess is a Japanese elder. A trouble alert is being picked up on the satellite scanner. Super friends, you have got to help or our village will be crushed and buried. Something is wrong in my homeland. Holy cataclysms, what do we do? That is the village of Gorobi, near my birthplace. I will go at once. Kaze no yo ni hayaku! And uh, Samurai has announced that something is wrong in his homeland. Yeah. Did he think about that all by himself? We know it's Japan. I believe the narration told us. So, feeling the need to save his people, and rightly so, Samurai says uh, something in Japanese and flies off. I doubt it's actual Japanese, but maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know a single word of Japanese, so I am definitely not qualified to make a judgment on it. But I'm pretty sure the writers of this show are not going out learning Japanese, so uh, Samurai can say a few chants. So, Samurai is going to try to help the village, and apparently uh, some medieval warriors are going to... Uh, come through a time gate. I'm not sure how 13th century samurais understand time gates, and but they do, and they run afoul of samurai right off the bat. I see the future has brought new territory to ravage and conquer, and that village will be the first. More likely the last fugitive warlord. I am samurai, and you shall go back to your own time period. <laughs> you are outnumbered, 
hardy samurai, demon warriors, attack! By the great pagoda, your demon warriors are ghosts. Yes, and each time you defeat them, samurai, <laughs> they will rise up again, stronger than before. They have come back to life. Even if you are just steel shells, you must practice. And the uh, warlord is going to attack the uh, local village here. And the uh, samurai basically orders them home. Bold of them. I don't want you here. Just go home. Back through the time gate to the 13th century. But nope. The uh, warlord here has new land to pillage. Actually, it's the same land, just uh, 700 years later. So the warlord is going to attack with his ghost soldiers. So apparently there is more to this guy than meets the eye. While he's fighting the ghost, Samurai extols the virtue of patience. But the warlord has some, uh, has his gemstone on his helmet, which uh, fires off some kind of ray. And he uh, uses that to uh, cower the people in the village, who probably are not a very sophisticated bunch, just from the looks of them. And of course, all he wants is the village treasures. Not really much to dive into here, as it's pretty much a straight fight. And uh, Batman and Robin are now enlisted to uh, stop a lava flow uh, caused by the Warlord's helmet. And they stop it with uh, rocks. Uh, a lot of stuff being stopped with rocks this week. First in the Lava Men, and now this. So, now Robin's fighting ghosts. And uh, we get two uh, holy uh, something comments from Robin in less than a minute. And that's too much. Uh, the, the holy uh, whatchamacallit stuff is... Uh, Gets old quickly as it is. You don't need him repeating it over and over again. But wouldn't you know, everyone's caught. But, you know, Samurai, again, uh, he says his magic words, and he's free. And Batman and Robin manage to free themselves as well, because they're Batman and Robin. And they grab the helmet, and it's rather amusing watching Samurai spike the helmet like a football, destroying it and the Demon Warriors. He just takes that thing and slams it into the ground. Oh, and then apparently when he grabs the amulet, he knows it will send the Warlord home to the 13th century. And, of course, uh, now that he's robbed of all of his power... The warlord is a coward and doesn't want to face up for whatever crimes it is he's committed. So back through the gate he goes and the villagers praise Samurai and the super friends for saving the village. So this one took our Japanese superhero off for a spin. It's a simple episode. Warlord's gate causes panic. Warlord comes through. Warlord sent home. These episodes are really no more complicated than that, but it was okay. You know, nowadays you would tell more comic book like stories in your cartoons instead of uh, little tales like this. So, that pretty much does it for this week of coverage. Next time, we're going to finish our coverage of the 1981 Super Friends shorts. Until then, if you want to leave some feedback, it's always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manofscreencast. So, till next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.